As we continue worshiping today, please remain risen and receive these words from the gospel according to Luke, the 19th chapter, beginning in the 28th verse. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, indeed, the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave within you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Then he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there. And he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priest, the scribes, and the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to kill him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were spellbound by what they had heard. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. I invite all of us who are now gathered to pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day and for this week and for Jesus. I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be acceptable to you. For you, O oh God, are our Messiah. You are the one who comes to us again and again to show us the way. We honor you, for we know that it is in you that we have life. Amen. Can something be both broken and beautiful? 
Of course, there are artists who know how to take broken pieces and transform them, creating something of beauty for the world. And anyone who's been around Foundry for even a minute has heard me say over and again things about this beautiful, broken world. The world is indeed filled with beauty, with love and friendship, and generosity, creativity, grace, and so many more beautiful gifts. And the world is deeply broken. There's the brokenness of bodies, of relationships, ecosystems, of human institutions and systems of all kinds. And our own lives, too, of course, are a mix of beauty and brokenness. Sometimes it is difficult to perceive the beauty that is right around us or in the world. Because, of course, pain and confusion and justice and violence and fear can overwhelm us, can overshadow us, can leave us feeling numb and stuck, can truly cloud our vision in the present moment and our capacity to even begin to imagine a future that could be different from what we're experiencing now. But the story that we are given from our spiritual tradition and ancestors, the story of which we are a part through God's grace, is a story of restoration. It promises restoration and fulfillment. It promises saving grace that brings greater wholeness to the world and beauty even out of brokenness. God's preferred and promised future is beloved community, which is, according to Howard Thurman, authentic community grounded in our shared humanity, even amidst all our diversities and our shared spiritual nature. God's vision, God's preferred future is justice rolling down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God's preferred future, God's vision is the peaceable kingdom where wolves and lions and bears live together with vulnerable lambs and little children and do not hurt or destroy. This is the vision, this is the future that is not only possible, but it is promised according to God's prophets across the ages. Jesus knows that the political, socioeconomic, and religious systems in Rome occupied Jerusalem do not conform to God's vision. Jesus grieves that many in Jerusalem cannot even perceive, much less 
receive or practice the beautiful things among them that would make for peace. And as a result, he grieves that that failure will lead to more and more violence, to more suffering, to more brokenness. There's a certain kind of prophetic grief when you can look at the broken places and know that it doesn't have to be that way, and also to know in your heart of hearts that the people aren't receiving what they need to change, aren't willing. But even in that space, Jesus doesn't walk away, Jesus doesn't give up, even in the face of what he knows is an impossible situation. Instead, Jesus carefully plans a demonstration, a processional march orchestrated for maximum effect. Jesus is not just sauntering into town. Jesus has a plan. The public witness that Jesus organizes intentionally fulfills the words of the prophet Zechariah, who speaks of a king who will come into Jerusalem, quote, humble and riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That king, according to Zechariah, quote, will cut off the war horse, shall command peace among the nations. and prisoners will be set free. Some of you will know it's likely that as Jesus rode his colt into Jerusalem, across town an imperial procession carried in Pontius Pilate, coming into the city as was the custom to monitor the crowds gathering for the Passover. Pilate's procession proclaims the power of empire, complete with cavalry and banners and golden eagles raised up on poles and all pomp and circumstance. Jesus' procession proclaims God's liberating love that gives voice to the voiceless, even to the stones along the path. By its method, the makeup of participants, and its content, Jesus' march puts those in power on notice that business as usual is unacceptable. Jesus organizes and leads a nonviolent freedom march in solidarity with the poor, the oppressed, and the silenced. Jerusalem at the time of Jesus was a city associated with all the best hopes and aspirations of the Jewish people for justice and for peace. But under Roman rule, which began in 63, before the Common Era, the religious temple at the center of Jerusalem, became used as the center of economic and political activity and control by the Roman Empire. 
temple leaders were likely handpicked by Roman rulers and came from the high-ranking priestly families and from very wealthy lay folk. The system, what Walter Brueggemann calls the imperial reality and Marcus Borg calls the domination system, was a system in which a small group of people held a large amount of power, which was fueled by an even larger percent of the wealth. Does this ring any bells? God and the holy texts, in addition, God and the holy texts were co-opted by those in power to support this reality, effectively using religion to legitimate injustice and oppression. Any other bells? Now, one might think that such a state of affairs would make the masses rise up together, unified in protest. But the reality is that this kind of system, ruled by a few, economic exploitation and religious legitimation, this kind of system, a very common system, by the way, often has just the opposite effect. The masses don't rise up together. In this domination system, you see, everyone is caught in the web of the injustice. The poor are caught in dehumanizing systems and often become exhausted by the obstacles that they face at every turn. The oppressed who try to speak up are silenced and treated as selfish or uh, crazy or traitors. Those who are in the sort of middle management often live with a complex mixture of guilt and envy. And the powerful and the rich often are bound and blinded by their own privilege. Daily work and entertainments and bones thrown out here and there are used to distract everyone. And then everyone becomes lulled into believing the fiction that this is simply the way things are, that there are no real alternatives, and therefore life becomes a matter of simply just trying to get by. And that brings us back around to brokenness that can be so overwhelming that we become numb and unmotivated or struggle to believe there is any future that can be different from what is right now, feeling like this is just the way things are and nothing will ever change, so why even bother trying? And today, Jesus rides into that thinking and challenges it with prophetic vision. Jesus perceives the depth of what has been twisted, abused, and broken through human folly and forgetfulness and sin. 
Jesus also perceives the beauty both of those persons who are resisting and persisting even right in the middle of the mess and also perceives the beauty of what might be, of what can be through the grace and mercy and love of God if only persons would open themselves to receive it. Jesus has the capacity and the power to wake people up and highlight both the broken present and God's future wholeness. Perhaps that's why so many were so astonished by his words. His strategy is to come into Jerusalem and everywhere he goes with humility to stand up to the power players and the Roman military industrial complex, to stand in solidarity with the poor, to speak out for the marginalized and the oppressed, of which, of course, he was one to call people back to the connection between prayer and justice. Jesus rides into Jerusalem embodying God's radical freedom in the face of those who thought that God could be tamed or co-opted or manipulated to serve the gun lobby or Wall Street or the status quo. Jesus entered his nation's capital and through public, peaceful protest and teaching, named the hypocrisy and the injustice of a system that had lost a life-giving connection to the God of justice, of mercy, of liberation, and self-giving love. He rides in and proclaims God's hope-filled future. If only people will repent and turn back to God's way, it's all they needed to do was just turn and receive the gifts. He came in humility. He came in love. He came in courage. He came with grace and mercy to try to shake the people out of their numbed stupor to show that things really can be different. And then the crowd that once had been spellbound becomes an angry mob that decides that they should lynch him. And the power players were more than happy to comply. If Jesus brought his nonviolent freedom march into our nation's capital today, how long do you think it would take for the crowds to turn on him? What do you think Jesus would overturn? Who do you think Jesus would drive out? And I encourage us to take care with our answers. 
I dare say the wholeness of God's kingdom vision does not fit neatly into any of our polarized bubbles. Our tendency is to make God in our image instead of the other way around. And my guess is that if we met Jesus today riding a colt, a foal of a donkey down 16th Street headed toward the White House, he might and likely would be more conservative than some of us would like and more liberal than others would prefer. But the thing is, that is simply too clear and consistent in the scriptures to ignore, is that Jesus takes the side of the poor, the vulnerable, the powerless, the silenced, and the oppressed. This is not because God doesn't love everyone, but because God does love everyone, and God will not rest until all God's children are safe and cherished and cared for. God won't rest until no one lives beneath their dignity by doing harm and hurting and destroying the vulnerable. And we may disagree on how to accomplish the goal of God's preferred future, but the goal itself is clear. And the tension between the imperial domination system and God's promised kingdom vision is also clear. Today, we get to choose, and frankly must, which procession we want to align ourselves with. If we throw our cloaks in with Jesus' parade, that action will lead us right to the center of brokenness. But God's love and grace dwell at that center and will meet us there. And that means we can become part of God's mending, saving, recreative work that brings something beautiful out of brokenness. And along the way, we might find that our own lives, with all their inevitable brokenness, have been scooped up by God and folded into the vision emerging. Because whether we're ever able to perceive it or not, the promise is that God is always up to something beautiful and good. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. Amen.